Section 14 of the Underground Railroad, Part 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Casper. The Underground Railroad, Part 3, by William Still. Section 14. The Slave Hunting Tragedy in Lancaster County in September 1851. Part 2. Under this high pressure of public excitement, threatening and alarm breathed so freely on every hand that fugitive slaves and their friends in this region of Pennsylvania, at least, were compelled to pass through an hour of dreadful darkness, an ordeal extremely trying. The authorities of the United States, as well as the authorities of the state of Pennsylvania and Maryland, were diligently making arrests wherever a suspected party could be found who happened to belong in the neighborhood of christiana in a very short time the following persons were in custody j castner hannaway elijah lewis joseph scarlett samuel kendig henry spins george williams charles hunter wilson jones francis harkins Benjamin Thompson, William Brown, number one, William Brown, number two, John Halliday, Elizabeth Mosey, John Morgan, Joseph Berry, John Norton, Dennis Smith, Harvey Scott, Susan Clark, Tansy Brown, Eliza Brown, Eliza Parker, Hannah Pinckney, Robert Johnson, Miller Thompson, Isaiah Clark, and Jonathan Black. These were not all, but sufficed for a beginning. At least it made an interesting entertainment for the first day's examination, and although there were two or three non-resistant Quakers and a number of poor defenseless colored women among those thus taken as prisoners, still it seemed utterly impossible for the exasperated defenders of slavery to divest themselves of the idea that this heroic deed in self-defense on the part of men who felt that their liberties were in danger was anything less than actually levying war against the united states accordingly therefore the hearing gravely took place at lancaster on the side of the Commonwealth, the following distinguished counsel appeared on examination. Honorable John L. Thompson, District Attorney. William B. Folney, Esquire. Thomas E. Franklin, Esquire, Attorney General of Lancaster County. George L. Ashmead, Esquire of Philadelphia, Representative of the United States Authorities. And Honorable Robert Brent, Attorney General of Maryland. For the defense, Honorable Thaddeus Stevens, Rhea Frazier, Messrs. Ford, Klein, and Dickey, Esquires. From a report of the first day's hearing, we copy a short extract as follows. The excitement at Christiana during yesterday was very great. Several hundred persons were present, and the deepest feeling was manifested against the perpetrators of the outrage. At two o'clock yesterday afternoon, the United States Marshal, Mr. Roberts, United States District Attorney, J. H. Ashmead, Esquire, Mr. Commissioner Ingraham, and Recorder Lee, 
accompanied by the United States Marines, returned to the city. Lieutenant Johnson and officers Lewis S. Brest, Samuel Mitchell, Charles McCulley, Samuel Neff, Jacob Albright, Robert McEwen, and Blank Perkinpine, by the direction of the United States Marshal, had charge of the following named prisoners, who were safely lodged in Moyamensing Prison, accompanied by the Marines. Joseph Scarlett, White, William Brown, Ezekiel Thompson, Isaiah Clarkson, Daniel Callsbury, Benjamin Pendergrass, Elijah Clark, George W. H. Scott, Miller Thompson, and Samuel Hansen, all colored. The last three were placed in the debtor's apartment, and the others in the criminal apartment of the Moyamensing prison to await their trial for treason, etc. In alluding to the second day's doings, the Philadelphia ledger thus represented matters at the field of battle. The intelligence received last evening represents the country for miles around to be in as much excitement as at any time since the horrible deed was committed. The officers sent there at the insistence of the proper authorities are making diligent search in every direction and securing every person against whom the least suspicion is attached. The police force from this city, amounting to about sixty men, are under the marshalship of Lieutenant Ellis. Just as the cars started east in the afternoon, five more prisoners who were secured at a place called the Welsh Mountains, twelve miles distant, were brought into Christiana. They were placed in custody until such time as a hearing will take place. Although the government had summoned its ablest legal talent, and the popular sentiment was as a hundred to one against William Parker and his brave comrades, who had made the slave-hunter bite the dust, most nobly did Thaddeus Stevens prove that he was not to be cowed, that he believed in the stirring sentiment so much applauded by the American people, give me liberty or give me death, not only for the white man, but for all men. Thus standing upon such great and invulnerable principles, it was soon discovered that one could chase a thousand, and two put ten thousand to flight, in latter as well as in former times. At first even the friends of freedom thought that the killing of Gorsuch was not only wrong, but unfortunate for the cause. Scarcely a week passed, however, before the matter was looked upon in a far different light, and it was pretty generally thought that if the Lord had not had a direct hand in it, the cause of freedom at least would be greatly benefited thereby. And just in proportion as the masses cried, Treason, treason, the hosts of freedom from one end of the land to the other were awakened to sympathize with the slave. Thousands were soon aroused to show sympathy who had hitherto been dormant. Hundreds visited the prisoners in their cells, to greet, cheer, and offer them aid and counsel in their hour of sore trial. The Friends of Freedom remained calm, even while the pro-slavery party were fiercely raging and gloating over the prospect, as they evidently thought of the satisfaction to be derived from teaching the abolitionists a lesson from the scaffold, which would in future prevent underground railroad passengers from killing their masters when in pursuit of them. Through the efforts of the authorities, three white men and twenty-seven colored had been safely lodged in the Moyamensing prison under the charge of treason. 
The authorities, however, had utterly failed to catch the hero, William Parker, as he had been sent to Canada via the Underground Railroad, and was thus sitting under his own vine and fig tree, where none dared to molest or make him afraid. As an act of simple justice, it may here be stated that the abolitionists and prisoners found a true friend and ally at least in one United States official, who, by the way, figured prominently in making arrests, etc., namely the United States Marshal A. E. Roberts. In all his intercourse with the prisoners and their friends, he plainly showed that all his sympathies were on the side of freedom, and not with the popular pro-slavery sentiment which clamored so loudly against traitors and abolitionists. Two of his prisoners had been identified in the jail as fugitive slaves by their owners. When the trial came on, these two individuals were among the missing. How they escaped was unknown. The marshal, however, was strongly suspected of being a friend of the Underground Railroad, and to add now that those suspicions were founded on fact will doubtless do him no damage. In order to draw the contrast between freedom and slavery, simply with a view of showing how the powers that were acted and judged in the days of the reign of the fugitive slave law, unquestionably nothing better could be found to meet the requirements of this issue than the charge of Judge Kane, coupled with the indictment of the grand jury, in the light of the Emancipation and the Fifteenth Amendment, they are too transparent to need a single word of comment. Judge and jury, having found the accused chargeable with treason, nothing remained so far as the men were concerned but to bide their time as best they could in prison. Most of them were married, and had wives and children clinging to them in this hour of fearful looking for of judgment. THE LAW OF TREASON as laid down by Judge Kane. The following charge to the grand jury of the United States District Court, in reference to the slave-hunting affray in Lancaster County, and preparatory to their finding bills of indictment against the prisoners, was delivered on Monday, September 28th, by Judge Kane. Gentlemen of the Grand Jury, It has been represented to me that since we last met, circumstances have occurred in one of the neighboring counties in our district, which should call for your prompt scrutiny, and perhaps for the energetic action of the court. It is said that a citizen of the state of Maryland, who had come into Pennsylvania to reclaim a fugitive from labor, was forcibly obstructed in the attempt by a body of armed men, assaulted, beaten, and murdered, that some members of his family who had accompanied him in the pursuit were at the same time and by the same party maltreated and grievously wounded, and that an officer of justice constituted under the authority of this court, who sought to arrest the fugitive, was impeded and repelled by menaces and violence, while proclaiming his character and exhibiting his warrant. It is said, too, that the time and manner of these outrages, their asserted object, the denunciations by which they were preceded, and the simultaneous action of most of the guilty parties, evinced a combined purpose forcibly to resist and make nugatory a constitutional provision, and the statutes enacted in pursuance of it. And it is added, in confirmation of this, that for some months back gatherings of people, strangers as well as citizens, 
have been held from time to time in the vicinity of the place of the recent outbreaks, at which exhortations were made and pledges interchanged to hold the law for the recovery of fugitive slaves as of no validity, and to defy its execution. Such are some of the representations that have been made in my hearing, and in regard to which it has become your duty, as the grand inquest of the district, to make legal inquiry. Personally, I know nothing of the facts or the evidence relating to them. As a member of the court, before which the accused persons may hereafter be arraigned and tried, I have sought to keep my mind altogether free from any impressions of their guilt or innocence, and even from an extrajudicial knowledge of the circumstances which must determine the legal character of the offence that has thus been perpetrated. It is due to the great interests of public justice, no less than to the parties implicated in a criminal charge, that their cause should be in no wise and in no degree prejudged. And in referring, therefore, to the representations which have been made to me, I have no other object than to point you to the reasons for my addressing you at this advanced period of our sessions, and to enable you to apply with more facility and certainty the principles and rules of law which I shall proceed to lay before you. If the circumstances to which I have averted have in fact taken place, they involve the highest crime known to our laws. Treason against the United States is defined by the Constitution, Article 3, Section 3, Clause 1, to consist in levying war against them or adhering to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort. This definition is borrowed from the ancient law of England, statute of the 25th year of Edward III statute five chapter two and its terms must be understood of course in the sense which they bore in that law and which obtained here when the constitution was adopted the expression levying war so regarded embraces not merely the act of formal or declared war but any combination forcibly to prevent or oppose the execution or enforcement of a provision of the constitution or of a public statute if accompanied or followed by an act of forcible opposition in pursuance of such combination. This, in substance, has been the interpretation given to these words by English judges, and it has been uniformly and fully recognized and adopted in the courts of the United States. See Foster, Hale, and Hawkins, and the opinions of Iridell, Patterson, Chase, Marshall, and Washington, judges of the Supreme Court, and of Peters, District Judge, in U.S. v. Vigil, U.S. v. Marshall, U.S. v. Fries, U.S. v. Bullman and Swarthout, and U.S. v. Burr. The definition, as you will observe, includes two particulars, both of them indispensable elements of the offense. There must have been a combination or conspiring together to oppose the law by force, and some actual force must have been exerted, or the crime of treason is not consummated. The highest, or at least the direct proof of the combination, may be found in the declared purposes of the individual party before the actual outbreak, or it may be derived from the proceedings of meetings in which he took part openly, or which he either prompted or made effective by his countenance or sanction, commending, counseling, and instigating forcible resistance to the law. I speak, of course, of a conspiring to resist a law, 
not the more limited purpose to violate it or to prevent its application and enforcement in a particular case or against a particular individual the combination must be directed against the law itself but such direct proof of this element of the offence is not legally necessary to establish its existence the concert of purpose may be deduced from the concerted action itself or it may be inferred from facts occurring at the time or afterwards as well as before besides this there must be some act of violence as the result or consequence of the combining but here again it is not necessary to prove that the individual accused was a direct personal actor in the violence if he was present directing aiding abetting counselling or countenancing it he is in law guilty of the forcible act nor is even his personal presence indispensable though he be absent at the time of its actual perpetration yet if he directed the act devised or knowingly furnished the means for carrying it into effect instigated others to perform it he shares their guilt in treason there are no accessories there has been i fear an erroneous impression on this subject among a portion of our people if it has been thought safe to counsel and instigate others to acts of forcible oppugnation to the provisions of a statute to inflame the minds of the ignorant by appeals to passion and denunciations of the law as oppressive unjust revolting to the conscience and not binding on the actions of men to represent the constitution of the land as a compact of iniquity which it were meritorious to violate or subvert the mistake has been a grievous one and they who have fallen into it may rejoice if peradventure their appeals and their counsels have been hitherto without effect the supremacy of the constitution in all of its provisions is at the very basis of our existence as a nation he whose conscience or whose theories of political or individual right forbid him to support and maintain it in its fullest integrity may relieve himself from the duties of citizenship by divesting himself of its rights but while he remains within our borders he is to remember that successfully to instigate treason is to commit it i shall not be supposed to imply in these remarks that i have doubts of the law-abiding character of our people no one can know them well without the most entire reliance on their fidelity to the constitution some of them may differ from the mass as to the rightfulness or the wisdom of this or the other provision that is found in the federal compact they may be divided in sentiment as to the policy of a particular statute or of some provision in a statute but it is their honest purpose to stand by the engagements all the engagements which bind them to their brethren of the other states they have but one country they recognize no law of higher social obligation than its constitution and the laws made in pursuance of it they recognize no higher appeal than to the tribunals it has appointed they cherish no patriotism that looks beyond the union of the states that there are men here as elsewhere whom a misguided zeal impels to violations of law that there are others who are controlled by false sympathies and some who yield too readily and too fully to sympathies not always false or if false yet pardonable and become criminal by yielding that we have not only in our jails and almshouses 
but segregated here and there in detached portions of the state ignorant men many of them without political rights degraded in social position and instinctive of revolt all this is true it is proved by the daily record of our police courts and by the ineffective labors of those good men among us who seek to detach want from temptation passion from violence and ignorance from crime but it should not be supposed that any of these represent the sentiment of pennsylvania and it would be to wrong our people sorely to include them in the same category of personal social or political morals it is declared in the article of the constitution which i have already cited that no person shall be convicted of treason unless on the testimony of two witnesses to the same overt act or on confession in open court this and the corresponding language in the act of congress of the thirtieth of april seventeen ninety seem to refer to the proofs on the trial and not to the preliminary hearing before the committing magistrate or the proceeding before the grand inquest there can be no conviction until after arraignment on bill found the previous action in the case is not a trial and cannot convict whatever be the evidence or the number of witnesses i understand this to have been the opinion entertained by chief justice marshall one burr's trial one ninety five and though it differs from that expressed by judge iredell on the indictment of fries one wharton's american state trials four eighty i feel authorized to recommend it to you as within the terms of the constitution and involving no injustice to the accused i have only to add that treason against the united states may be committed by any one resident or sojourning within its territory and under the protection of its laws whether he be a citizen or an alien foster civil law one eighty three five one hale fifty nine sixty sixty two one hawkins chapter seventeen section five kell thirty eight besides the crime of treason which i have thus noticed there are offences of minor grades against the constitution and the state some or other of which may be apparently established by the evidence that will come before you these are embraced in the act of congress on the thirtieth of september seventeen ninety chapter nine section twenty two on the subject of obstructing or resisting the service of legal process the act of the second of march eighteen thirty one chapter ninety nine section two which secures the jurors witnesses and officers of our courts in the fearless free and impartial administration of their respective functions and the act of the eighteenth of september eighteen fifty chapter sixty which relates more particularly to the rescue or attempted rescue of a fugitive from labor these acts were made the subject of a charge to the grand jury of this court in november last of which i shall direct a copy to be laid before you and i do not deem it necessary to repeat their provisions at this time gentlemen of the grand jury you are about to enter upon a most grave and momentous duty you will be careful in performing it not to permit your indignation against crime or your just appreciation of its perilous consequences to influence your judgment on the guilt of those who may be charged before you with its commission but you will be careful also that no misguided charity shall persuade you to withhold the guilty from the retributions of justice 
you will inquire whether an offence has been committed what was its legal character and who were the offenders and this done and this only you will make your presentments according to the evidence and the law your inquiries will not be restricted to the conduct of the people belonging to our own state if in the progress of them you shall find that men have been among us who under whatever mask of conscience or of peace have labored to incite others to treasonable violence and who after arranging the elements of the mischief have withdrawn themselves to await the explosion they had contrived you will feel yourselves bound to present the fact to the court and however distant may be the place in which the offenders may have sought refuge we give you the pledge of the law that its far-reaching energies shall be exerted to bring them up for trial if guilty to punishment the offence of treason is not triable in this court but by an act of congress passed on the eighth of august eighteen forty five chapter ninety eight it is made lawful for the grand jury impanelled and sworn in the district court to take cognizance of all the indictments for crimes against the united states within the jurisdiction of either of the federal courts of the district there being no grand jury in attendance at this time in the circuit court to pass upon the accusations i have referred to in the first instance it has fallen to my lot to assume the responsible office of expounding to you the law in regard to them i have the satisfaction of knowing that if the views i have expressed are in any respect erroneous they must undergo the revision of my learned brother of the supreme court who presides in this circuit before they can operate to the serious prejudice of any one and that if they are doubtful even provision exists for their re-examination in the highest tribunal of the country end of section fourteen